The resurrection of the crucified Jesus brings transformation, a truth we celebrate every Sunday. But then Monday arrives with its unrelenting demands and distractions. In view of this perennial challenge, we invite you to join us for The Day After Sunday, a weekly discussion between a preacher, Chris Costaldo, and a music guy, Greg Wheatley, on the implication of Christ's kingdom for everyday life. Greg, I finally got to the opera. Oh, I know you did. And you're going to rub it in, aren't you? This has been a bucket list for a long time. Well, you've been, but I remember about a year or two ago, you got to go too. So Someone offered tickets, yeah, but we had yeah. to give them away. Oh, I thought you went. Well, well, good for you. Congratulations. But I'm just a little bit envious. Is it well, okay to admit that? You know what? It's even better than that, though, because <laughs> we got to meet Stephanie Springer, who sings there, who graciously gave us a tour beforehand. Yeah. Lyric Opera, I mean, one of the opera houses in this country, mm-hmm. right here in Chicago. Not only does he get to go see Guno's Faust, but he gets backstage passes uh, I don't know. I, I don't know if I can be here with you or not. <laughs> it's a dream I've had <laughs> that's for as long as I yeah, can Yeah, that's good. To that's stand good. on the stage and to let the Luciano Pavarotti in my soul somehow find expression. Did you sing? No, but I... Oh, you scared me there for a minute. I, I thought maybe you had the nerve to let I, loose I, in the grand lyric opera. I gave myself a moment to imagine <laughs> looking out from the stage and it was nice. Yeah, that is nice. Yeah. And and good for you that you could go. So, um, Faust. Yeah. I mean, a little light, you know, just a little light entertainment opera, right? That's right. <laughs> Nothing to think about. Yeah. There's a couple of versions of Faust. This was uh, the French composer Gounod. Yes. Um, some people know the other uh, version. Different from but, the, the German. Yeah. Uh, because in the German, you have both Faust and Marguerite redeemed at the end. Uh, but not so in this case. Well, take us back. I, we should probably, for people who don't have a clue what Faust is, just a brief story. I mean, when you say they're redeemed, redeemed from what? What's the story? Yeah, so Faust is this old man looking back on his life, asking himself, what's it all about? He is a philosopher who's acclaimed. Uh, in this instance, he was an artist. But he's looking at his art, and he's saying, what have I done mm. with my life? Mm. So as he's having these reflections, he disavows God. He explicitly exclaims that he's not a man of faith. And as he begins to process his life, he finds himself invoking Satan, uh, saying, you know, if, if only there was help for me to experience something more, and he turns toward the devil. This is a classic deal with the devil, right? Yeah. yeah. So yeah. Uh, lo and behold, uh, the devil emerges in this character, Mephistopheles and makes him a deal. Says, what do you want? I'll give it to you. Do you want money? No, I don't want money. Uh, Do you want fame? I don't want fame. You want power? No, I don't want power. I want my youth. And that's where it starts. Sets his eyes upon this young maiden named Marguerite and the rest of the story is about him seducing this Marguerite and what happens in both of their lives. Yeah. So once again, it's an example of uh, obviously lots of embedded truth here, right, that you can take away in addition to just enjoying the the amazing musical artistry. But I mean, there's a lot of of stuff to process and think about. Very thought-provoking. Yeah. Yeah, so Mephistopheles sings this song, uh, The Golden Calf is Still Standing. 
and as the the townspeople are singing about beer and wine and the things that make them happy, he has this solo in which he's talking about idolatry. And that is, I suppose, the the thread that runs right through. Uh, All the characters are in some way chasing after something. Mm -hmm. And so it's a sort of an expose on the human heart and Faust uh, is at the center of that, trying to reclaim his youth. You know, once again, I think we might have brought this up on a previous podcast, but it it amazes me how people, I'm thinking of the story writer now, Goethe, um, far as I know, no claim to the faith of being a Christian, how they get it, Yeah. you know, and how um, they have this insight often into hum- the human predicament and the uh, the problem of sin, and even redemption. I would talk a little more about that, but um, how they have this ability to penetrate and see some of the human problems that are really are really are true. Yeah, there are uh, eyeballs all over the place through this performance. This was a very new and different kind of portrait of Faust here, and some of the reviews haven't been quite that good, frankly, uh, because it's dark yep. and it's almost like a Freudian mm-hmm. uh, version. It's very psychological. So some have said the eyeballs signify Faust looking within mm. and that all of this is happening in his head. There's no metaphysical reality. There's no yeah, real demon. There's, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's one reading of it. Others have said that the the eyeballs represent Mephistopheles and the demons looking in, which is very interesting mm. because throughout this whole portrait, you have these demon figures with these enormous heads. There are four of them. And they're always sort of sauntering around the edges, exerting influence. And so they're always looking. And I thought, isn't that right? That's the biblical picture, Yeah, that we're in a spiritual warfare and the the devil is prowling around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. I bet you had bad dreams that night. (laughs) I did. I I woke up in the middle of the night. That's the stuff of nightmares. (laughs) No kidding. Uh, But all kidding aside, unfortunately, uh, true. I mean, you know, you could portray it in a number of ways, but that reality that um, there are principalities and powers uh, that would want nothing more than our destruction. Which I think sounds like patent nonsense to the unchurched person. You really believe there are demons, yeah. you know, looking at you. Yeah, but that, from, that's, that's so medieval, right? Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. But from a biblical point of view, we believe there is a spiritual realm. There is good. There is evil. And we are in the middle of this drama. Hmm. And they exert influence. Yeah. So here we are. I, I mean, it, it's interesting that you got to see that right in the middle of Lenten season as we, you know, move quickly towards Holy Week, Good Friday. Um, that's an interesting juxtaposition when we think about this this uh, problem of evil and, and how we confront it. Yeah. Uh, the stage was set from the very beginning when Faust, in the writing of the book, he puts the, the scriptures behind the door. So it's a very sim- symbolic act about the place of God's word in his life. Uh, in this case, he, he sang a line which indicated that he didn't believe in God. Mm-hmm. Faith had no role in his life. Soon as that happened, what did he have to turn to? Himself. Mm-hmm. So he does, and he comes up short. And that's when he begins to invoke these spirits, and pretty soon Mephistopheles shows up. So from the beginning, you see... Because Faust was not a man of faith, he had limited options, mm-hmm. and it inevitably led him in a very dark and, and damning direction. Yeah. Boy, there's a lot to think about there, isn't there? Um, 
so limited options. Um, what do you have? You have either yourself, you turn inward, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, and or or you have um, idols. I mean, in a sense, so Faust's idol was made known in his deal with the devil. He wanted to be young again. Yes, that was right. In a sense, that was what he wanted to. He was looking to that to give him what he thought he needed because he could not look forward mm-hmm. with hope anticipating something more beyond this life what did he have left to look back yep. and he, he remembers and he's he's listening to these voices outside of his window of young people who are singing about the glory of the morning and are enjoying these men are enjoying their labor and these these young maidens are enjoying the things that young ladies enjoy and he has none of that yep. So it's very natural then to look back and think, oh, if only I could go back there. Hmm. So uh, let, let, me, let me push you on, or, or have us push ourselves on this idea of uh, Faust during Lent. Hmm. <laughs> we come up with a new, uh, that's next year's sermon series, like Faust during Lent. Because uh, on, on first, at first blush, people might say, there's no, you know, come on, there's no connection there. Well, you know, why would you bring that up during Lent? I think you and I talking, getting ready to come in here today, decided that there really were some pretty pretty significant connections to make there. We want to press into the darkness in terms of recognizing our sin, seeing we are desperate for divine grace, that left to ourselves, we dwell in darkness and there is no hope. So opening our eyes wide to not only recognize that, but feel it in our bones. How do we do that? Well, during Lent, we try to say no to self as much as we can in order to open our hearts to the presence of God and all sorts of practical ways in which we can do that. Um, Why are we doing it? So that when we gather on Easter Sunday morning and we consider the resurrection of Jesus, we have just walked through this period of of darkness, and we are ready uh, to encounter the light of the new creation. And so I, I think that's the motivation behind it. And and yeah, Faust is an illustration of what it looks like to live in darkness. Yeah. And without, you know, in his case, without the hope of the light, uh, you know, uh, he doesn't really come around at the end. There's no closure in his life in terms of a sense of redemption at the end of that that particular story. In the French portrait, there is no repentance yeah. on Faust's part and no redemption. Yeah, which leads us to um, talking a little bit about an upcoming service here at New Covenant Church. Uh, Good Friday is coming. It's one of my favorite services. Uh, I think you and I both will be honest enough to say that a lot of this service is patterned after college church, where you and I both uh, spent a lot of years. And, um, you know, I remember, I think... I think it wasn't long after Jennifer and I had moved to Chicago that we went visited College Church. One of the first services we were at was Good Friday. Is that right? Yeah, and I just it it was a it it was such an impressive service in the sense, in the right sense of impressing you with what was going on here. Um, and I think a lot of what we do has been sort of modeled after that, patterned after that. It's a service that I think, Chris, if somebody comes expecting. Uh, sort of an uplifting, um, wow, I'm so encouraged to come out of that service in the sense of being kind of lightheartedly encouraged. Uh, Frankly, that's not what they're going to feel. And I think some people might come to a Good Friday service and say, wow, I'm 
that was that was such that was down. It was sort of a down kind of service, right? Yeah, for the for the resurrection to make sense, you must first do business with the cross. You must realize why Jesus died and what that means for you. And interestingly, that's the one place where I think Faust lets the side down because there is, as you said, this wonderful scene of redemption at the end. Um, it's, it revolves around Marguerite, mm-hmm. who's condemned for her immorality. Her brother, who's just returned from war, is heaping uh, this condemnation on her, curses her right before he dies. And then there is the demon himself, Mephistopheles, doing the same. And she's covered with shame. She's wearing this black dress and on the verge of death and it's at that moment she lifts her eyes to heaven she begins to sing this was great you see in the subtitles it says christ is risen Mm. and as she begins to sing those words the heavenly chorus of angels join with her and pretty soon uh, the angels come to remove the black garb from her revealing this white dress Mm beneath. So there is resurrection hope. But where does Faust let the side down? I did not see there any depiction of the cross. So here's the point. You have human suffering, but you don't have there the suffering of the Son of God. And that's the very thing with which we must do business on Good Friday. Yeah. So we come through the dark to get to the light. Um, I, I, You know, I think... Um, if people come to a Good Friday service at New Covenant, um, we we leave in silence and in darkness. Uh, and I think I, I don't I know what you think about this, Chris, but I, I think sometimes we evangelicals have gotten a little nervous with that, and it's like, well, every time we preach the cross, we have to preach the resurrection. And in a sense, there's a lot of truth to that. We don't want to leave Jesus unraised because then we don't have we don't have a risen Savior. But there's another sense, I think, in which chronologically, when we come through the liturgy, we want to, of course, deep in our hearts, we know he's raised, but we want to walk through that Good Friday and say, when those lights go down and the last hymn is sung and we leave without speaking, we are, for that moment in liturgical time, recognizing Jesus is in the tomb. I think that's the key. It's, it's liturgical time. Yeah, Many we're, of us we're, in, re, we're re-walking through the time, aren't we? Yes. Yeah, yeah. And I don't know to what extent evangelicals have that category of liturgical time. Um, and I, I don't want to suggest we have it down perfectly because we don't. But we're trying to observe Lent in such a way that these 40 days are a reflection of Jesus in the wilderness. And when we get to Good Friday, we're remembering those historical events and there were three actual days that passed before mm-hmm. the resurrection. And so yeah. it's, it's a, a, a privilege, it's a wonder for us to observe that time frame in the name of our, our liturgy and our worship. Yeah. You remember the old, uh, maybe 20 years ago, it was a popular sermon that got talked about. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. Yeah, right. you remember that? Yeah. Uh, and I think that's it. You know, we leave our Good Friday service with the sense, and again, of course we know deep in our hearts that Jesus is not dead, but we have to go through that again in our hearts and minds um, in order to experience the elation of a resurrection on Sunday morning. I I think, honestly, I struggled with that idea early on, Mm -hmm. and it's because I was so much of an evangelist, and it was so intuitive for me 
to always preach the gospel in its entirety, right. culminating in the resurrection mm-hmm. and an invitation to receive Christ. Yeah. That I couldn't quite countenance, yeah. n- you know, not doing that. Mm-hmm. But when I began serving as a pastor, and I saw the importance of walking God's people through the seasons of the year, then all of a sudden that notion of liturgical time started to make more sense to mm-hmm. me. Yeah. We're sort of, I think, you know, uh, we're wired to have cycles of life like that. Uh, if you look at the Old Testament and the way God had his festivals and the marking of time, in a sense, that's what the church has tried to mirror when they do the church calendar. Mm-hmm. It's sort of a, a modeling on the Old Testament seasons. And not because, you know, I think sometimes people look at Paul's words about, you know, you observe times and seasons and holy days, and he doesn't have too much good to say about that. But I think that's the misuse. I I think the the right use is one that reminds us, oh, okay, Advent, preparing for his coming, Christmas, his birth, the incarnation. We get to, uh, to Lent, as you said a minute ago, we're walking in the wilderness with Jesus. And then Holy Week, which is sort of the, the bottom of, of things as far as uh, Jesus is about to give his life. And then Good Friday, that darkest moment, prepare three days later for this resurrection from the dead. So I, there's value in, in walking through that. And we recognize the importance of that as Christians for whom the gospel is at the center of our lives. I wonder how we talk with our neighbors and friends about this idea. Those people who don't share our assumptions, yeah. realizing, again, this is a therapeutic age. We want happiness. Mm. And the idea that we purposefully lean into suffering, even something as gruesome as the cross. Here's the thing. I don't know the answer to your question. I don't know how you frame it in 2018 language. But in a lot of ways, Chris, I think you'd agree with this, that's the part of the so-called gospel that's missing these days, isn't it? Hmm. I mean, we don't need to debate whether you preach so-called hellfire and brimstone sermons. But the point is, without a recognition that we have that deep of a problem, what's what's the remedy, right? Uh, there's a correlation in how deep the problem is and in how amazing the remedy is. So that's part of the gospel, isn't it? That, that we've got a huge, huge problem. It is, as you just said, an imperative for us to explain first the human need before we present the solution. Yeah, so let me ask you as a, as a pastor, because I think you and I have talked about this uh, just personally before. Um, if, you, if you say to someone... You need Jesus in your life because you don't have, you clearly don't have fulfillment, right? Uh, and and the person presumably says, yeah, that's right. I haven't been fulfilled lately. Well, you need Jesus. There's some there's truth to that, but that's missing the more fundamental element of you are in danger of what Edwards said. You're, in a sense, you're, you're suspended over the flames of hell, yeah. and we just don't use that language anymore, but that's really the fundamental problem is an estrangement from God, isn't it? Yeah. I believe that we need to be mindful of felt needs when we do outreach. When I was at College Church, I once said to our friend Chuck King, who was the pastor of, of music and worship, I said, you're not going to use the idioms of felt needs in what you do in worship. But as the outreach guy, it's really important to me because I want to build bridges with people in our neighborhood. 
And the way to do that, I think, is to reveal their pains mm-hmm. and their their hopes and dreams. You're and speaking needs, their language when you do that. Speak their yeah. language, yeah. and you might put that in the category of what Francis Schaeffer called pre-evangelism. You're getting their attention so that they recognize the importance of the gospel message. Yeah. But you you shouldn't leave it there. Yeah. At some point, I think we do need to clearly state that we stand before God guilty on account of sin, yeah. that there is a legal problem that needs to be dealt with, and that's why Jesus shed his blood. Let's come back to Good Friday for a minute. Um, people will be hearing this podcast uh, hopefully a little bit before Good Friday. Why would you invite someone to come to a Good Friday service like ours? Well, let's take it back to Faust for just a moment. Um, Why did Faust pursue Marguerite? Well, because Mephistopheles the demon told him a lie. He could have whatever he wanted. And it seems to me we are vulnerable to the same, that there are so many lies about our place in the universe. We're central. It's all about my pleasure. And we all live there. And what the cross does is it knocks us down to size. It reminds us of who we are under the hand of a sovereign God, a gracious and loving God. But it puts us in our place and uh, protects us from believing the lie, the lie that we are the center of the universe. But it does more than that. It shows us God's love, that he sent his only son, Jesus, to die in our place, the, the crucified Savior, the Lamb of God. And that's what we need more than anything. Yeah. Uh, Paul says this is the power of God unto salvation for all who believe. Yeah. So that service, uh, again, it's you can tell it's special to us. And I'll just say this. Uh, I'm looking at last year's bulletin worship folder from Good Friday. Um, and it'll be, it'll be much the same this year in terms of the outline. Um, we walk through a lot of scripture. Um, it... it to me, it's a service that feels like there's time. We're not rushing through things. It feels like we're taking time. There's a lot of scripture. We sing uh, music that is directly related to the cross. And then I know uh, you probably share this sentiment with me. The last song we sing is our buddy Ed Child's great hymn, My Song is Love Unknown, My Savior's Love for Me, Love to the Loveless Shown That They Might Lovely Be. But who am I that for my sake my Lord should take frail flesh and die. It's a great way to end, and the lights are low, and the candles are extinguished, and we leave in great anticipation of Easter Sunday morning. Friday night, Good Friday this year, is uh, March 30th, mm-hmm. and I think our service time is 6.30. That's correct. Let's say more than think. It is 6.30, <laughs> um, and we're the church on the corner of 75th and Washington in Naperville. You really, if you get near the intersection, you can't miss it. Yeah. Big steeple. That's right. Well, a good discussion. Thank you for joining us for the day after Sunday. We'd love to have you worship with us at New Covenant Church this Sunday morning at 10.30 at the corner of South Washington and 75th Street in Naperville. And please join us next week for the day after Sunday.